Once you found John 16 and verse 16, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, John 16 and verse number 16, and we're going to read down through verse number 23. So we'll read uh, responsibly here. I'll begin in 16 and then we'll begin together in verse 17 and read in that pattern down through the 23rd verse. The Bible says, a little while, Jesus is speaking here, he says, a little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me because I go to the Father. Together, verse 17. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, what is this that he saith unto us? A little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father. Then they said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born unto the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. The title of the sermon this morning is this, From Sorrow to Joy. From Sorrow to Joy. Boy, we go through life and we deal with some hardships. And sometimes we wonder if God has forgotten about us and our hearts hurt. And how does that work? Jesus said here in John 16, the disciples, you will be sorrowful, but that sorrow shall be turned into joy. And I don't know about you, but of all the sorrow that I've experienced, can 100% of it be converted into joy? That would make for one joyous man. Amen? And let's look at this truth this morning. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we open your word and look at these truths. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we go through times of hardship to be able to understand and experience that joy. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us in so many ways. Help us to take our eyes off the storms of life for just a few minutes this morning and put them on squarely on you, the master of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In northern Chile, Chile, between the Andes Mountains and the Pacific Ocean, lies a narrow strip of land where the sun shines every day. Clouds gather so seldom over the valley that one can say, it almost never rains here. Morning after morning, the sun brilliantly over the tall, shines brilliantly over the tall mountains of the east, uh, to the east. Each noon it shines brilliantly overhead, brightly overhead. And every evening it brings a picturesque sunset. Although storms are often seen rising high in the mountains and heavy fog banks hand their gray curtains, hang their uh, gray curtains Far over the sea, Old Sol, as it's known in Chile, uh, continues to shed his warming rays upon this favored, favored and protected strip of territory. One might imagine this area to be earthly paradise, for you see, it never rains there, but it is far from that. It is a sterile and desolate wilderness. There are no streams of water and nothing grows there. We often long for total sunshine and continuous joy in life, and we desire to avoid the heartaches that bring tears to our eyes. Like the sunny, unfertile part of Chile, however, life without clouds and even an occasional downpour would not be protective, uh, rather not be productive or challenging. But through showers... But those showers do come, they will also end, and the sun will shine again in our hearts. It has been said that few enjoy rainy days, but most everyone enjoys the results of rainy days. 
few enjoy rainy days, but most enjoy the results of rainy days. How many of you here have ever been to a desert area? Anybody here ever been to a desert area? Uh, I don't enjoy riding around a desert area. Several years ago, I took a trip to Southern California, and we drove uh, across through the desert there, and uh, tumbleweeds were everywhere. Uh, you can tell when someone waters their lawn and someone doesn't because if they water their lawn, they have green grass. If they don't water their lawn, they have sand for a lawn. And, uh, you know, you need rain in order to have the, the plushness of the area. Uh, Thursday, I was driving my kids to school and um, uh, uh, ma- making my way back Thursday. It was just a, what do they call that, a gully washer. It was a downpour. Um, rain hard all day. And then I had to drive somewhere else and get somewhere else. And I got home from that last trip and I had driven for several hours Thursday. And I was just sick of the rain, tired of the rain. And then I thought, and remember what I was preaching today, and I thought, well, we wouldn't have green grass and we wouldn't have green trees if it wasn't for the rain. Praise God for the rain. It has been, rather, being sorrowful is something that is praised in the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You're here today and you're mourning. You're hurting on the inside. Blessed are they that mourn, Jesus said. In the Old Testament, we find an entire book dedicated to sorrow. It's called the Book of Lamentations. That book was written by one of God's most influential prophets. His name was Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. David requested that God would capture his tears in a bottle. Psalm 56 verse 8 says... Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Truth is, sorrow is a reality that everyone must bear. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45 famously says, For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. There is a Chinese proverb of a woman who lost an only son. She was grief-stricken out of all reason. She made her sorrow a wailing wall. Finally, she went to a wise old philosopher. He said to her, I will give you back your son if you bring me some mustard seeds. However, the seed must come from a home where there has never been any sorrow. Eagerly she started her search and went from house to house. In every case she learned that a loved one had been lost. She said, how selfish I have been in my grief. What she realized is that sorrow is common to all. Sorrow is common to all. In John chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples that sorrow would soon overtake them. He promises them that their sorrow would be converted into joy. He promises to send them the Comforter or the Holy Spirit. And so that promise stands true for all of those who are saved in Christ. You may be here this morning with a heavy heart. You may be dealing with some things that grieve your soul. Maybe you focus on your own weakened, sinful soul, and that causes you great grief. Uh, Maybe you have experienced personal betrayal, or you have lost someone close to you to death. This morning, God wants to take your sorrow and turn it into joy. Let's look this morning at four truths, four truths out of John 16, as we consider this Bible message from sorrow to joy. Notice truth number one, thought number one. Notice the word comprehension. Comprehension. Look at John chapter 16 and verse number 16. The Bible says, A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, 
and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Here Jesus is walking toward the Mount of Olives. In John 17, he would pray, pray a famous prayer. There departed from the nine, or rather the eight, and then the three. And then he goes a step further, and he's sweating great drops of blood, and he's praying. That's John chapter 17, where he prays for his disciples. John 16 is the Olivet Discourse, if you will. He's left the upper room. He's traveling to the Mount of Olives. The disciples are heavy-hearted as he is heavy-hearted, and he tells them, a little while I'm going to leave you and depart from you, and then I will eventually come back to you. And the disciples are confused by what Jesus is saying. Notice letter A, our limited understanding. Our limited understanding. Look at verse number 17 with me. The Bible says, Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father, they said therefore, What is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. We cannot tell what he saith. Jesus is speaking to them in vague terms. He's speaking to them uh, in proverbial uh, type language and uh, riddles, if you will. And they don't understand what he's saying. You're going to be with us. You're going to leave. And then we're not going to see you. And then you're coming, going to come again. And so Jesus makes this statement and the disciples are probably trailing behind him and they start whispering to each other. What is he talking about? What is going on? And they were confused. They were confused. Can I tell you that oftentimes God is in heaven and He's orchestrating events in my life. He's orchestrating events in your life and we have a hard time understanding exactly what is going on. Why would God allow this tragedy to happen? Why would God allow this loss of a loved one? Why would God allow this mistreatment in my life? Why this hurt? Why this sorrow? Does God not know the hurt that I have? And uh, the pastor gets up and preach a Bible sermon and tells me to trust God. And I don't understand how I can trust God through such a difficult and hard time. And the truth is, we have a limited understanding of what an almighty God is doing. Limited understanding. These disciples were confused at the language of Jesus, the speech of Jesus. They couldn't make heads and tails of what he was talking about. Their understanding was limited. Number one, comprehension. We see our limited understanding. Notice letter B, God's loving awareness. God's loving awareness. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, now Jesus knew. Notice that word there, knew. Jesus knew. Jesus knows all things. You may wonder if God knows. I promise you, God knows. Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask Him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. Look back at verse number 12. And so Jesus um, is aware, he perceives that they're talking about this. Now, did he know because he was the divine God? That's quite possible. Did he know because he was just very perceptive? That's also possible. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he saw them whispering uh, around behind his back. And uh, he perceived or knew what they were talking about. Look at verse 12. Jesus says here, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Notice that. Ye cannot bear them now. How be it when he, who, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, and whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You know what God or Jesus is saying to them here? He's saying, listen, I wish I could just unload the whole wagon. I wish I could just back up the dump truck and dump it all on top of you. I wish I could just tell you the whole narrative and the whole story. But the reality is, men, if I were to tell you everything it is that there is to tell you, you wouldn't be able to handle it. What's he saying? I can't give you the whole truth because, well, as is quoted from one movie, you can't handle the truth. And that's what he's telling them. You just can't handle the truth. You can't handle it all right now. It's, it's just too much 
for you to handle. And I can think back of times in my life where I was going through hardships and I, I felt like God had forgotten about me and neglected me. And Lord, how could you let this happen to me? And Don't you know that I'm trying to serve you? Don't you know that I love you? Why are you limiting my life? Why won't you give me what I want so I can better serve you? And God is smiling down on me saying, young man, just stay patient, young man. Just wait, young man. I have a plan. Just trust my plan. God is all aware. He knows your hurt. He knows your sorrow. He knows your struggle. He understands. We don't understand, God, what he's doing, but God understands everything about us. In fact, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Here Jehovah says uh, to Moses, he says, For I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. I know the, the whip that's being cracked across their backs. I know the children that have been murdered and tossed in the sea. I know the pain and hurt that they're experiencing in their heart. I know, I hear their cries, I hear their sorrows. And I just want to say to you right now, to every one of you in here that's going through a hardship in your life, and if you're not going through a hardship, then uh, save this for when you are. You're going through a hardship in your life right now. God knows all about it. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. There was a time in my life where someone had so mistreated me that I blamed God for that hurt. And I had this thought, God... If you loved me, why did you let that happen to me? For about six months, I refused to pray. For about six months, the only spiritual activity that was existent in my life was attending church. And if I'm being honest with you, I was there in body, but I was not there in spirit. I was there out of habit. I would drive places and I would turn up sports radio or talk radio so as to drown out the Spirit of God's work in my life. I was hurting. I was angry. I didn't understand how God could allow such a horrible thing to happen to me and my family. One day, the Lord was working on my heart. I was driving up Highway 8, probably about the exit 19 area up near Seymour. I was driving a truck. I pulled that truck onto the median. I put the vehicle in park and I began to sob. I'm not a man who cries very often, but I began to sob. My body began to convulse and shake. And I had to park the truck because I couldn't see to drive. And all I said was, oh God, oh God. You know, the Spirit of God took those groanings and converted them into a prayer to heaven. Because in my sorrow, the Lord knew. The Lord knew. I just want to say this morning to you, if you're hurting and you think God's forgotten about you, I promise you, God hasn't forgotten about you. He knows. He doesn't just know on an intellectual level. A few minutes ago, I dismissed the Spanish church in Spanish. One of the, one of the things I love about the Spanish language is that they have two verbs for the word know. Two verbs for the word know. One word means to have a mental understanding of. The other word means to have an emotional understanding of. God doesn't just mentally know your hurt. He emotionally knows your hurt. I think of Jesus there at the tomb of, of, of Lazarus. Mary and Martha come to him and they're upset because Lazarus had died. They're, that's their brother. and Mary falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to weep 
Now, Jesus didn't weep because Lazarus was dead because he knew in just a few minutes Lazarus was going to live again. But Jesus wept because his friend, Mary, was weeping. Jesus understands your hurt. Number one, we see the word comprehension. Number two, we see the word conflict. The word conflict. Look at John chapter 16 with me again. And look down at verse number 20. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus is speaking here, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful. What? So while I'm sad over the events that are going to take place, the world's going to be jumping up and down for joy. You see the conflict here? This isn't good. This isn't good. Now Jesus is... Uh, talking about his death, if you're not sure of what's going on here, you haven't figured out the riddle yet. Uh, Jesus is on his way to the Mount of Olives where he'll be arrested and then crucified. And uh, they didn't understand that. We can look back uh, in history and read the Bible and understand that. But they were living it in that moment. They didn't quite get it. It, it. it hadn't sunk in for them what was going on. And Jesus is saying that when this event takes place and I leave you, the world is going to be very happy and you're going to be very sad, very sad. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. What does Paul tell his preacher boy Timothy? He says, Fight, fight the good fight of faith. Why do you fight? You fight because of conflict. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, our warfare, the conflict, the fight, the warfare, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we see here the conflict. Uh, there are things that are going to make the world, the lost, the secular world, jump up and down and make them rejoice, but those same things will make us uh, weary and sad and sorrowful. And there are going to be other things that make us joyous, that make them weary and sorrowful and sad. Notice letter A, the constant war. The constant war. Look at... Um, uh, uh, take your Bibles over, if you would, to Romans chapter 7. Hold your place in John 16. Romans is two books to the right. John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 23. There is a war that is going on that brings about great pain and hurt and sorrow. And that war begins within. There's a war that begins within. Look at Romans chapter 7 and verse number 23. Paul speaks here. He says, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. What's he talking about here? He's saying there's a battle going on in my heart. And he said, when I'm thinking this thing through straight, I want to do what's right. But then I end up doing wrong. How many know the war he's talking about? How many here ever wanted to do right and ended up doing wrong? We've all been there, haven't we? If you're not raising your hand, you're, you're lying right now. Amen? We all know. We all know. Um, each morning when I wake up and shave my face and put my three hairs into place, I look myself in the eye and I come to the realization that I am my greatest problem. From time to time, a church member gives me a hard time time to time, my neighbor gives me a hard time. From time to time, the clerk at the store gives me a hard time. From time to time, my wife or kids might give me a hard time. Can I tell you something? I give myself the hardest time. This battle with doing right inside of me, I lose way more than I'd like to admit. We have a tendency to blame everything else from without. But the truth is, if we're honest... Most of our problems are created by us. Created by us. You know, um, Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the snake. And there was some truth to those accusations, but truthfully, Adam chose on his own. Eve chose on her own, and you choose on your own. And I find that much of the sorrow I experience in my life is because of my own poor moral choices. The constant war, the constant war. 
Not only is there a war from within, there's a war, constant war from without. Turn over to Romans chapter 1 and look at verse number 18. Romans chapter 1, look at verse number 18. We've been looking at this this, uh, theme, Stand for Jesus, in 2021. And we've talked about the battle, the the conflict, the, the war that's taking place between righteousness and unrighteousness. And there is a war going on from without against the Christian and against righteousness. Look at verse 18. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against... Here we see that word against um, uh, implying or describing a, a battle, a war, a, a conflict uh, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousnesses, unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. This conflict, this war that goes on. And uh, Christian is, as a, as a Christian, your faith is under assault. Christian, uh, there is a war taking place, Ephesians 6 describes, that is unseen. It's a war that takes place over our head. The forces of righteousness and the forces of evil clash with each other over our own morality and the direction of this world. So we see the constant war. Letter B, notice the clash in worldviews. The clash in worldviews. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 again. And indulge me, we're going to read down through the end of the chapter with very little comment. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of the passage per se as I'm going to just make an overarching point. Look at verse 18 and let's read to the end of the chapter. And notice the worldviews that are laid out here for us. And tell me if these aren't prominent in in an America that's becoming more and more post-Christian. Look here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that when uh, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God they knew God they glorified him not as God that's a worldview of secularism neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts was darkened professing themselves to be wise they became fools that's humanism and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God uh, into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. That's paganism. Wherefore God also gave them up to um, uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts uh, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that would be environmentalism. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they uh, did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Look here, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now tell me if this list does not describe the American culture, the Western culture of today, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without uh, uh, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasures in them that do them. These are the worldviews that are opposite of God, that oppose God, that are uh, conflicting 
the Christian, that are at war with the Christian? Why is it that certain news that comes on the TV would make me sit down and be sorrowful and weep and someone else could see the same news report and find that as a good thing and something to rejoice over and something to be happy over because their worldview revolves around things that are uh, uh, away from God, secular from God, and our worldview centers around God. And my friend, there is a conflict going on in the world today. Nature itself cries out. Romans 8 tells us for God to heal this world. And there is coming a day where the Lord will heal this world. But in the meantime, we live with the sorrow and the reality that Satan is at work in our world opposing the Christian. You're here today and you're dealing with conflict. You're dealing with sorrow brought about by conflict. Those conflicts come from within. Those conflict come those conflicts come from without. Number one, we see comprehension. Number two, conflict. Number three, we see the word conversion. Conversion. Look back at John chapter sixteen and look at verse number twenty. John six twenty and look right at the very end of the verse there, it says, But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. You know what that tells me? That God's going to take the sorrow that's in my heart and He's going to convert it or change it over into joy. Look at verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish, for joy that a man is born into the world. So in verse 21, our Lord um, gives us an illustration of sorrow being converted into joy. Letter A, notice joy's beginning. Joy's beginning. Where does joy originate? Where does joy begin? It finds its origin in sorrow. Joy finds its origin in in sorrow. I hope you're hearing what I'm about to say because this is the crux of the message. God allows hardships to come into our lives so that He can take these hardships and turn them into joy. John chapter 16 verse 20 tells us that sorrow shall be turned into joy. What is it that you are sorrowing over right now? Is it loss of life? Is it the betrayal of a friend? Is it relationship strife with someone that you love? Is it discouragement and disappointment from the behavior of others? Maybe you're sorrowful today because of unmet expectations. Turn your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter is toward the end of the New Testament. If you get to the book of 1, 2, or 3 John, you've gone just a little too far. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's after the book of Hebrews and before the Johns there. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6. Why are you sorrowful this morning? Now, I understand not everyone here is sorrowful. But I think if all of us look deep and long enough into our hearts, we can find something that makes us sad, something that hurts a little bit. And I don't mean to pull open uh, emotional wounds, but I do want to offer you a solution to sorrow that exists in your heart. Look at First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And so verse 6 tells us that you will greatly rejoice. That's the end result, greatly rejoicing. However, in the moment, you're going through a whole host of temptations. Look at verse 7. That the trial of your faith, the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. No one likes the refiner's fire. No one. No one. No one likes trials and temptations. I've never one time come home and walked through the door with a big smile on my face and looked at my wife and kids and said, 
I had a great day today. I went through a trial. Boy, what an awesome day. I faced Satan, man. He threw everything he had tempting me today. Man, it was great. That's never happened. But you know why God allows those things in my life and why he allows them in your life? Because he's trying to purify your faith. He's trying to refine you the way a precious metal is refined like gold when heat is turned up under it and the impurities rise to the top and are skimmed off the top. No one likes the heat, but everyone likes a purified metal. James chapter 1 tells us to rejoice. Rejoice when you fall into diverse temptations. 1 Peter 1 tells us that we are to rejoice over the heaviness of temptations. Why? Because these trials of our faith are working to purify us. These struggles and sorrows are going to purify us and bring joy into our life. Where does joy begin? It begins with sorrow. God looks over at His choicest servant and He says, I want to make him or her joyful. Give me a big old helping of temptation and trial. Give me a big old helping of sorrow. Let me put it into their life because I'm going to take that sorrow and I'm going to work my magic. I'm going to do my divine thing. And in time, that sorrow is going to be turned into joy. Letter A, we see joy's beginning. Letter B, we see joy's birth. Joy's birth. Hold your place in 1 Peter 1 and turn back over to John 16 and look with me at verse number 21, if you would again. A woman, it says in verse 21, a woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her, her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. I ought to have a woman who's given birth without any sort of medical help. And when I say medical help, I mean uh, any, any sort of medicine. Uh, come up and talk about this because this is not something I can relate with. I don't know what it's like to go through the throes of childbirth. Someone wisely said that if men had to have the children, the world would have ceased to, uh, mankind would have ceased to exist, right? Us men, when it comes to that stuff, we're wimps. Right? How is it that a woman can go through such the, a painful event of having a baby and yet do it again and again and again and again? You know, my mother had seven children. Uh, we uh, interviewed a missionary on Wednesday evening, our Brother Malucci, our missionary to Bulgaria. He and his wife, I believe, have 13 children. Some of you remember the show, 17 Kids and County. Right? Some of you women are like, Pastor, I'm with you. I had one and I'm done. Amen? Um, how is it that a woman can go through the jaws of death and then six, eight, nine months later turn around and say, let's have another one? You know how? Because once that baby is placed in the mother's arms... That sorrow is turned into joy. And the sorrow is forgotten about pretty quick. Look back at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 7 with me. Now let's take that idea of childbirth and let's parallel that the best we can with sorrow that you're going through in your life right now. The Bible says that the trial of your faith, verse 7, 1 Peter 1, the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, ye believe. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable. And full of glory. Where does this joy come from? Boy, they had not seen the risen Christ there in John 16. They had plans and anticipations of Jesus being a political ruler, restoring Israeli dominance. 
Jesus had a different set of plans, and instead of sitting on a throne, he was nailed to a cross. Boy, their hearts were crushed as their expectations were left unmet. They sorrowed. But then Mary Magdalene, weeping over the disappearance of the body of Jesus, through teary eyes, looks at Jesus and thinks he's the gardener and says, Sir, tell me where you have laid his body. Almost as if to say, Sir, this is some kind of sick joke. And all Jesus did was calmly and gently call her name. The second he said Mary, her sorrow was turned into joy. The disciples were in hiding, fearful and sad and sorrowful and not knowing what had happened and in and, and a whirlwind of emotions. And the women come running into, the, into that uh, uh, hidden place and say, uh, he, He's alive, we saw angels, and He's living. And Peter and John take off running to the cave. And John gets there first, but it's too uh, uh, fearful or reverential to go in. And Peter, man, darts right past him, good old Peter, and runs right into the uh, tomb there and finds the empty tomb where Jesus was. And their sorrow was quickly turned into joy. You know, one day we walk through life and we don't uh, see Jesus. Our hope is not yet realized. Our faith is not made complete. And we know that one day Jesus is supposed to come back and rapture us. We hear of the splendor of heaven and uh, where there will be no sadness and sorrow. And uh, Revelation chapter 21 tells us that He will wipe all tears from our eyes. And we long for a day of euphoria and perfection. We long for a day of completeness and wholeness. We long for that day, and one day, First Peter 1 tells us, our faith will be realized, we will see Jesus. And forever our sorrow will be completely turned into joy. You know, the Bible tells us there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. You know, it doesn't say that the angels rejoice. It says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Now watch this now. Why is it that the angels don't rejoice as much as the saints rejoice? You know why? Because the saints know what it feels like to deal with the sorrow of sin and be redeemed. The angels have never experienced that. You see, the angels have never had the sorrow of sin converted into the joy of salvation. But the saints in heaven have. My friend, God wants to take your sorrow... And birth that into joy. Let me tell you how you can stymie or stop the process. Here's how you stop the process. Grow bitter toward God. Blame God. Shake your fist at God. If you're not actually shaking it at God, do it within your own heart. It's nothing wrong to ask God why He lets hurt come into our life. But it is wrong to ask God why with a bitter spirit. Many times we allow problems to make us bitter, and God says, then I won't take your sorrow and turn it into joy. You can just live in your sorrow. You can just live in your sorrow. My friend, if you'll trust God and you'll trust His process, you'll understand that He takes a big old shovel of sorrow and He dumps it into your life because in time He's going to take that sorrow and He's going to birth it into joy. Trust the process. Trust God. Number four, we see continuance. Continuance. We've looked at comprehension. We've looked at conflict. We've looked at conversion. And lastly, let's look at continuance. Go back to John chapter 16 with me, if you would, and look at verse number 22. The Bible says, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice. And your joy, look here, no Man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father of my name, he will give it you. There's a joy that God gives you when you convert your sorrow into joy. There's a joy he gives you that no man can take away. No man can take away. Um, happiness can be taken away. But true joy that God's converted from sorrow cannot be taken away. Notice letter A, a promised joy. A promised joy. 
Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, the psalmist said, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Hey, everyone that's dealing with sorrow, can I, can I just say you something today? The sun's going to come up at some point. The storm clouds are going to roll away. And the sun's going to shine again in your heart. I know that it feels like at this moment that seems impossible. You ever been caught outside in a rainstorm? I mean, a tumultuous rainstorm with no umbrella. Felt like I, I can't even find a little you know, awning to duck under. I'm afraid to run under a tree. I might die from a lightning strike. You're out there getting rained on. You're soaked to the bone. And you think this is never going to come to an end. That's how some of you feel right now because of hardships in your life. And I just want to let you know that one day those storm clouds are going to roll away. And in your heart, the sun's going to shine again. A promised joy. Let her be notice a permanent joy. A permanent joy. Again, verse 22, Jesus said, No man taketh this joy from you. Let's finish the sermon this morning in 3 John and 1 Peter. Go back to 1 Peter with me. And if you turn two more, uh, two more books to the right, you find 1 John. They're short books. Make your way over to 3 John. 3 John. 3 John only has one chapter. And so look with me at the fourth verse of the book. A permanent joy. I want to say this before we read this verse. I have a joy in my heart because Jesus has saved me. But that doesn't mean that sorrow doesn't come back into my life. That doesn't mean that hardships don't still find their way to me. That doesn't mean those rain clouds don't reform over my heart. Look at the fourth verse here. John says to this little house church right outside of Ephesus, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Where do you find a constant joy? You find it when you abide in truth. Who is truth? Jesus is truth. With that thought in mind, flip back two books to the left of 1 Peter, or just a handful of books back to the left, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 13. Four books back to the left. 1 Peter 4 and verse number 13. The Bible says, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. There is a maturity that takes place in the Christian life where you go from questioning God and his trials and temptations and struggles to where you thank God for those same trials and temptations, because you realize that when God allows suffering to come into your life, you realize that He has allowed you to be identified with His suffering. And in that suffering, you find joy, because you have a fellowship and a camaraderie with your Savior that you would otherwise never understand. Someone once wisely put it this way, we should be thankful for our tears. They prepare us for a clearer vision of God. A clear vision of God. The road is too rough, I said. Dear Lord, there are stones that hurt me so. And he said, Dear child, I understand. I walked it long ago. But there's a cool green path, I said. Let me walk there for a time. No, child, he gently answered me. The green path does not climb. My burden, I said, is far too great. How can I bear it so? My child, he said, I remember the weight. I carried my cross, you know. But I said, I wish there were friends with me who would make my way their own. Oh, yes, he said, Gethsemane was hard to bear alone. And so I climbed the stony path, content at last to know 
that where my master had not gone, I would not need to go. And strangely then I found new friends. The burden grew less sore. I remember long ago, he went that way before. Do you know the fellowship of his suffering? Do you know the joy that comes from a sorrowful heart? I just want to encourage all of you this morning with this thought. Going through a hardship, God wants to take that sorrow and convert it into joy. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I hope the message today is been encouragement to you. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus to save me. And I understand that the sorrow of our Savior was turned into great joy. And that joy I have experienced through salvation. I know when I die one day I'm going to go to heaven. Not because of who I've been or what I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me. Pastor, there was a day in my life I put my faith in Jesus to save me. I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. If that's your testimony, if that's something that you feel and know deep in your heart, would you indicate that by just simply raising your hand? There was a day I put my faith in Jesus. I know I'm going to heaven. Many hands. You can put them down, but not every hand. My friend, today... God wants to take the heaviness of the sorrow that sin has given you. He wants to turn that into the joy of a saved life, a rescued life. He wants to offer you eternal life. That gift of eternal life that He purchased with His own life on the cross. You see, the reason why Jesus suffered so brutally was to provide for you a way out of hell and a way to heaven. And if you're here today and you've never received that gift, my friend, it's being freely offered to you right now. All you have to do is by faith open up your heart and receive it. If you're here today and you've never received that gift of eternal life or you're not sure if you received that gift of eternal life, will you do something for me? Will you be honest with yourself right now? Will you be honest with God? Will you just slip your hand up right where you are and say, I know I've not yet received that gift. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? There's one hand. Is there anyone else? Why not make today the day? The Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Boy, we are not promised tomorrow. The gift is there for you. Just open up your heart and receive it. Please don't leave here today without doing that. In a few minutes, we're going to have something called a gospel invitation. Uh, Pastor Andrew will be standing down here, down front, right in front of the table, and he would love to take the Bible and show you how you can know you're going to heaven. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady show you how you can know. But please don't leave here today without getting that matter settled. How many here today would say, Pastor, I have some sorrows in my life, and Pastor, through the message today, I have better understood what God is trying to do in my life. Pastor, pray for me that I'll trust that process. If that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm going through some things. Pray that God will allow me to have those sorrows converted into joy. Lord, thank you today for your word and the truth that is in it. Help us today. Help us to be helped. Help us to yield to this process. Lord, help us to understand your perfect work is at work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.